Taylorville Republican announces he's running for Congress in Illinois' new 15th district. Miller Park Zoo closes Big Cat House after five animals show symptoms of COVID. More on these stories, I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. I'm Sierra Henry. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Um, sorry for missing two weeks. Uh, we were busy the week before Thanksgiving, and then the na- the next week was Thanksgiving. So we weren't already planning on having um, a podcast for the week of Thanksgiving, but things just happened. Uh, life happened um, the week before Thanksgiving. So we also just... We had like this whole, we even recorded it, so it just didn't get edited, and um, I, because if I don't edit it, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't get edited, and then, um, but we had this whole thing where we were going to showcase like all the charities that were doing like, um, you know, stuff, and you can still, you know, check that out if you want to see like what um, businesses and nonprofits are doing in your community. We have a whole bunch of stuff that ran like the week of Thanksgiving and the days after, like all across all three of our websites, panagraph.com, jj-tc.com, and herald-review.com. But with that, we're just going to jump right into it, into business and agriculture news. Uh, so starting with something coming out of Decatur, this will be good for you businesses. Struggling small businesses in Decatur may still have a chance to get some relief, reporter Brendan Moore wrote this week. The city is now accepting applications for the latest round of COVID-19 small business relief grant funds, which were provided through the state's Coronavirus Urgent Remediation Emergency, or CURE, program, and will reimburse for expenses incurred between March and the end of this year. They can be used for outdoor dining expenses, personal protective equipment purchases, rent, and utility relief. To learn more and whether or not your business may qualify, head on over to herald-review.com and read Brendan's story. Ever since the Mattoon Christian Church, a three-story, nearly 100-year-old building, was set ablaze more than a year ago, its small congregation has been partnering with the Marshall Avenue Christian Church to hold its regular Sunday services. The relationship is a one-of-a-kind story with both congregations cooperating to take care of the building as the Mattoon Christian Church cleans and repairs the damages. Not so they can return, but so the church can sell the building and open a new food ministry site to replace the pantry that had been operating out of the church's basement. This week, Rob Stroud spoke with church leaders about this story following up on what has happened since the fire severely damaged the building. Not long after the fire, the Coles County State's Attorney's Office charged Michael J. Callis, 42 of Mattoon, with felony arson at a place of worship for the fire. If you want to read more about what's being done, what's been done, What's being done in the future? Find Rob's full story at jg-dc.com. And there you can find past coverage, photos, videos, and more. All right. And uh, going on what every business has been dealing with, I did a story for the Thanksgiving a week about supply chain issues and why you need to start purchasing Christmas presents or other holiday gifts now, like actually probably two months ago. And that's because businesses, uh, particularly small businesses and large retailers are having issues getting certain items in stock because of the national labor shortage. So the national labor shortage, which was brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, which we have written a plethora of stories about, um, has caused there to be a shortage of like pretty much everything. Um, it really just depends. Certain businesses have bought like additional like um, 
items just to prepare for the holiday season, but you never know. So if you want, a, so what some owners have been telling me is that they've been telling their customers that if you see it in the store today, get it today because it might not be there tomorrow and they might not get another one in for another few weeks. And that kind of goes along with um, deliveries and stuff. So if you're buying stuff online, just be wary because you might not get it in time for the holiday. Um, with that, we're gonna move into local government and Kelsey's gonna tell us about some big moves for uh, Rodney Davis. After months of teasing a run for governor, U.S. Representative Rodney Davis announced on Tuesday he will run for re-election in the newly drawn 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Barring a primary loss, the Taylorville Republican is expected to secure re-election in the conservative district that stretches from Iowa to Indiana, picking up outlying areas of Springfield and Decatur and several mid-sized towns like Charleston, Jacksonville, Lincoln, and Quincy. In his announcement, Davis, who's a five-term congressman, had endorsements from 31 of the district's 35 county GOP party chairs, as well as other elected officials. Davis currently represents the 13th, and while it will still include portions of Champaign, Decatur, and Springfield, legislative Democrats cut several rural precincts while adding more Democratic-leaning areas in the Metro East region. Davis's home was also drawn out of the district in that process. Lee State House reporter Brendan Moore has the full story on Davis's run for the 15th, as well as a column this week gauging the winners in Illinois' new congressional map. Be sure to find both of those across our three sites, herald-review.com, panagraph.com, and jg-tc.com. About 160 soldiers from the 1st Battalion, 106th Aviation Regiment, with units based in Decatur and Peoria, have been notified of their likely deployment to the Middle East in winter 2023, the Illinois National Guard announced on Monday. The units, which are responsible for various flight jobs such as fuelers, suppliers, and logistics, mechanics, crew chiefs, and pilots, are slated to support theater security cooperation exercises in the U.S. Central Command area of responsibility as a part of Operation Inherent Resolve. According to the U.S. military, the Central Command area of responsibility stretches across 20 nations from North Africa to Middle East to South and Central Asia. Operation Inherent Resolve is the military's operational name for the campaign against the Islamic State group in Iraq and Syria. The unit received the notification of sourcing this week, which is not an official mobilization order, but allows for soldiers and their families to prepare for a likely deployment. Brendan Moore has the full details in his story at herald-review.com so if you want to know more and find out what where these uh, Illinois National Guardsmen could be going uh, find his story and read all about it and this is a story that we meant to bring up two weeks ago when we recorded and then didn't edit and post the podcast so uh, so it's a little bit old but definitely still worth mentioning the state representative Dan Brady was has officially put his hat into the ring for Illinois Secretary of State. He became the first Republican to enter the race for the office, being left by retiring incumbent Jesse White next spring. Brady, who is a funeral director in Bloomington, has been a member of the Illinois House since 2001, making him the third most senior member of the body, and he's currently serving as deputy minority leader under Representative Jim Durkin. Before his election to the House, Brady was a McLean County coroner from 1992 to the year 2000. And on the other side of the ballot, so far, four Democrats have declared their candidacies for Secretary of State. For the full story with details about Brady's career and his hopes for the state office, find Brendan Moore's report across our three sites, panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. And I just realized, have all of the stories we've read so far been Brendan's? Oh. <laughs> Except for the supply chain one? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. 
big fans of Brendan Moore here. We love you, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're going to move into some health stories. Sierra, take us to the zoo. Okay, big news for the Miller Park Zoo in Bloomington. Um, so basically, the the zoo a week and a half ago closed its uh, Cothifer Animal Building, which houses its lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my! Actually, the zoo doesn't have lions. It, ha- it houses the tiger or bears. It houses the tigers and um, the snow leopards. Some of its primates and some birds and snakes. Uh, They closed it because the Sumatran tiger and four snow leopards have not tested positive, but they have shown signs of COVID with uh, labored breathing and some coughing. Uh, Now, that means that the zoo is limiting contact with these animals between its uh, zoo workers and the animals, and they're wearing uh, masks and what the zoo director Jay Tetzloff told me is that um, the animals can't really pass the disease on to the humans, but the humans can pass the disease or the virus on to the animals. Um, so that means that they are also looking at potential vaccinations for the cats. Um, they're looking at vaccinations for the primates, which um, carnivores and primates are more likely are more susceptible to the virus. But the zoo does not have the um, species of primates that have been more susceptible to it, meaning that it's mostly been gorillas and apes that have come down with COVID. Um, the other species, like the Debrazos monkeys, uh, which the zoo has, haven't. they have no data on um, whether or not those animals have actually contracted the virus. So if you want to know more about how the cats are doing and what this means for the zoo, you can find my full story at panagraph.com. Also, fun fact about monkeys, um, when they first got the monkeys into the zoo, they had them in isolation from each other because they have a male and a female. They had them in isolation from each other just to make sure they were all good and they weren't going to pass on diseases to each other. Anyways, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 arrived in the U.S. this week after the World Health Organization designated it as a variant of concern last Friday. In McLean County, if you have been exposed to someone with COVID, the health department is urging residents to go get tested about five to seven days after that exposure if you're not having symptoms. But they do encourage you to get tested immediately if you do have symptoms. This message came as the department announced 383 new cases were reported over the holiday weekend. Also this week, three people died in McLean County of the virus, including two women in their 70s and a man in his 20s. Health officials across the country and the state are are continuing to monitor the Omicron variant, so we'll be sure to keep you updated as more information becomes available. We'll keep an eye on if there's going to be any mitigations at the state level, all that stuff. My report out of McLean County is at panagraph.com, but COVID updates can also be found across our three sites, so be sure to check those out as well. And now we're going to move into some education news and introduce a reporter you haven't met before. Uh, Joining us today is Connor Wood. Connor started with us about four months ago, so he's not quite new, but he is a really great reporter and he has been covering higher education and some K-12 through education for the Panagraph. You might have seen his bylines in the Panagraph as well as the Journal Gazette and the Herald and Review. So with further ado, Connor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work for the Panagraph? Well, hi. Um, like Sierra said, I'm Connor. Uh, I went, I'm a 2020 grad of Knox College over in Galesburg and worked down in southern Illinois for a paper down there for about a year before coming up here. 
And since we always do a more fun question for a new reporter, uh, what has been your favorite uh, place you found in Bloomington Normal, whether food or otherwise, just place? Um, yeah, I actually went to Medici's in Uptown Normal recently and really enjoyed that. Um, it was a nice little Sunday lunch. We love Medici. <laughs> We've talked about it a couple of different times on this podcast, I think. It always pops up. Um, so Connor's going to do education for us this week because Kelsey and I looked at um, everything that happened in that sector this week and we were just like, nope, we can't do it. Um, but Connor's the main man to tell you all about it because he wrote all the stories, except for Valerie also did part of it. And it's all dealing with the um, Illinois State Board of Education's uh, report card. Uh, so Connor wrote the stories for uh, the Bloomington Normal area and the Mattoon area, and Valerie Wells wrote um, about the Herald and Review Decatur area. But Connor's here today, so he's going to tell us all about this massive, massive story that comes out every year. So this is actually kind of the second time the state's released the report card data this year. This time they updated it with... Um, about 90% of school districts did testing in the spring, so their data is available now. And that includes most of those in the Bloomington Normal area and, like Sierra mentioned, over in Coles County as well. Overall, the numbers, um, you know, based on the standardized tests which were given in the spring, you know, sort of one sit-down, one-day tests, um, Overall, around 16.6% fewer students were meeting proficiency, um, according to the Illinois State Board of Education. And so obviously there's kind of an expected but still worrying, worrying loss happening. But a lot of the districts I talked to were also kind of, you know, hesitant to compare it to past years because the pandemic just upended everything for schools last year. And that included testing. Uh, one thing the board of, State Board of Education did to help with that is they did not issue summative designations, so you won't see anything like exceptional or um, not meeting expectations or anything like that ascribed to a whole school. Part of the reason there is also that there was much lower participation rates. The uh, Illinois Assessment of Readiness, which is given to third through eighth grades, could only be done in person, so anyone who was remote learning couldn't take the test. So here in Bloomington Normal, only around 70% of Unit 5 students in those grades and only around 50% of District 87 students in those grades even took the test. So a lot of the administrators I talked to said that, you know, it's really hard to compare and it's hard to really see these as a necessarily fair assessment of how the schools and the students are doing. So, you know, one thing that led me to ask them about was also how they assess their own students. And all of these schools are also using constant internal measures to assess students. You know, they don't want to have to wait until 11th grade for high school juniors to take the SAT to realize, oh, we're missing content for this. And, you know, some of those weren't as worrying. Uh, Dr. Dave Mauser down in Tri-Valley, the superintendent there, he's actually coming up to District 87 next year to lead here. Um, he said, you know, 
their internal measures aren't showing nearly as much learning loss. You know, most students seem to have progressed right about the year's worth of learning they should have. Uh, there were some, you know, measures that are still of concern, even with this sort of one-time test. There's continued achievement gaps, and that's not just happening along racial demographics. It's also happening along things like lower-income students not having as many students meeting proficiency or students who are in special education programs. And so a lot of the administrators I talked to, both in Bloomington Normal and over in Coles County, talked about you know ways to address that and watching that closely because it is something of concern. At the same time, you know, these tests can, it can be hard to measure achievement gaps with them because they rely on, they can at times rely on context that not all students share, and that can often happen along demographic lines. Um, I know University High School Principal Andrea Marquette, Marker, <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um, mentioned that, you know, it's just these tests are inherently going to privilege some students over others. What does the report card um, mean for the schools? Like, so what does the testing do? What do they do with the testing results after they get the report card back? Schools are going to use it to develop curriculum. Um, you know, some of the administrators said, you know, if they were teaching something in a senior year class, and realized, oh, it's being tested on the SAT, they might move that back down. Um, they get, school districts get student level data, and that's going to be way more useful for them. Um, obviously, that's not released to the public, but it's something that lets them sort of even individualize learning, which is, you know, an increasing trend and something really great for students because they're able to get exactly the content areas they need and they're able to get, you know, sort of personalized attention on what they need to learn. As far as what they do with the, um, with the data, it, I think it mattered more in other years when they would give those designations out for exemplary, etc. And um, schools that were doing poorly would like have consequences or like have plans put in place to uh, improve their scores and like ISP would work more closely with those schools so they don't they they do stuff with this data it does matter and <laughs> one thing actually that came up earlier when the first general data was released um, talking with Diane Wolf over at District 87 was that because these summative designations haven't been issued for two years, schools may have improved a lot, but they're still kind of sitting stagnant in terms of their situation with ISBE. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the pod. We always like having guests. We try to have them when we can. Um, that was a really great summary of uh, what people can read about. Uh, there's stories over the report card on all three of our websites. So if you want to check it out and learn more about what this means for your school uh, in particular, you can find those stories at pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com. And maybe we'll have Connor back on sometime. 
Now we're going to move into sports, so Kelsey kick us off with some updates from the Illinois State University women's basketball team. Well, the ISU men and women's basketball teams both took W's at Redbird Arena this week with very different margins. The men took a close 79-74 victory in the first game of conference play this season over Missouri State. It was the earliest Missouri Valley Conference opening day in history, and the Redbirds forced the game into overtime after trailing by nine leading up to the end of regulation play. The women, on the other hand, well, to use Panograph reporter Randy Reinhardt's wording, they throttled NAIA team Missouri Baptist, finishing with a score of 91-42. to The Redbird women slated some very impressive stats, so you're definitely going to want to go check that out. Uh, Randy's full report has all those details, and Jim Benson has the full story on the men's exciting conference opener, so you can find both of those at Panograph.com. And over to the East, the Illini men will open the Big Ten Conference schedule on Friday, facing Rutgers at the State Farm Center. With a 5-2 record, the University of Illinois team is not quite back to full strength after seven non-conference games that featured a key suspension, injuries, and a nasty flu bug. But Coach Brad Underwood indicated they are inching closer. Point guard Andre Curbelo will be out tonight with head and neck injuries, but senior guard Trent Frazier returned for Monday. Monday's 82-72 win over Notre Dame after he had been sitting for a knee injury and shoulder injuries. Before the holiday weekend, senior center Kofi Cookburn was also able to return to the court after serving a three-game NCAA suspension for an NIL violation last summer. Randy Reinhardt has the full look at Rutgers' matchup as well as game coverage for the Notre Dame story, so be sure to find them at herald-review.com. All right, now we're going to go into some public safety news. Kelsey? An Illinois State University student was struck and killed while crossing a street near campus this week. 23-year-old Danielle Fairchild was taken to Carl Broman Medical Center on Monday night and died of injuries to her skull and brain on Tuesday, McLean County Coroner Kathy Yoder said. Danielle was a graduate student in the dietetics internship program and a leader of the program's community garden. Normal police are investigating this uh, crash and the driver of the car that struck her was cited for failing to stop and yield to a pedestrian in a crosswalk. To read what Danielle's professors and other ISU staff had to say, you can find Brendan Dennison's story at panograph.com. Uh, Bloomington police are also investigating a pedestrian-involved crash after a woman was hit by a car outside the rainstorm car wash on Thursday afternoon. The woman, who is in her 30s, was taken to a local hospital and later transported to a different hospital. Officers said they were unsure of the extent of her injuries, but they weren't considered life-threatening as of early Thursday evening. Police did not provide information on the driver of the car or if any citations were issued. Full report is at panograph.com, thanks to Brendan Dennison as well. Okay, so we're going to move into some lighter news. Uh, Let's kick into some community news. Sierra, uh, what's up with um, the shoes? Pioneers, a group of retirees, this week provided 100 shoes to Decatur Public Schools to distribute them to students in need. It is the 50th year of this program, which helps families who might not be able to purchase shoes or boots for their kids as they grow or wear down their old pairs. Family liaisons at Decatur's elementary buildings identified six kids to take to the Shoe Depot Encore at Hickory Point Mall uh, to pick out a new pair. Students also received handmade hats as well as new socks and gloves from the First Baptist Church's Love That Looms ministry. If you want to read more about this program and the students, it helps find Valerie Wells' story at herald-review.com. And happy Hanukkah! I wrote a story about Hanukkah this week and it was very fun. 
I took a look at how families are celebrating the Jewish Festival of Lights this year with the pandemic and all of those difficulties. Um, here in Bloomington, the Moses Montefiore Temple is holding a, um, a gathering outdoors on Sunday night, which is the last night of Hanukkah. Um, where they'll light the menorah and have latkes and hot chocolate and play the dreidel and have music. And it sounds like a really great time. Um, they did have to adapt uh, because of the pandemic because usually they would have a huge party inside um, to celebrate and be all be together as a community. But obviously they didn't feel quite safe doing that um, with the pandemic, especially with the this new variant uh, gaining traction. So... Uh, they're doing that on Sunday night. I also went to ISU on Tuesday evening um, after sundown where they lit a big manure they put in the quad and students came out and had lakis and sang songs and the marching band was there for a little bit. Um, it was very cool and uh, it, was, it gave me a cool opportunity to learn uh, some more about a culture that I didn't know that much about. Um, and I really, really want some latkes and donuts now after talking about that so much all week. Um, so if you want to read more about that and how communities here are celebrating the holiday, uh, find my story at panograph.com. In other community-related news, uh, we recorded our first ever TikTok t- uh, Thursday. Um, it is the Panograph's TikTok. We have one TikTok up <laughs> and it all came together because of a story that I am working on for Sunday's paper about a very special house in Normal. So if you know the house I'm talking about and it's the one that's decorated with all the Christmas lights, stay tuned. Uh, you can find our um, TikTok account at the, at the Panograph on TikTok. No one else has that handle so you can find us there. Please spell it correctly because there is a Pantograph on there and that's not what we are. Oh, Oh, yeah, and that's and that's P-A-T- P- <laughs> and that's P-A-N-T-A-G-R-A-P-H. So, um, in other business, uh, Spotify Wrapped came out this week, and I know that everyone really loved my singing last year uh, when I was talking about my Spotify Wrapped, but uh, Kelsey was really excited because this was her first ever Spotify Wrapped, and I am actually pretty pleased with my results because I had a pretty good mix of artists' genres and songs instead of just like the absolutely crazy stuff that I had last year. Um. Yeah, I was so excited to finally have one. <laughs> uh, last year, I think the episode where you got we we talked about Spotify Wrapped. I think that was my first episode on yep. the podcast. Yeah. So very excited to come back and tell you I have a Spotify Wrapped, and I didn't have to make it up this time. Um, <laughs> not a lot of variety. My my um top songs are three of them all by the same artist. <laughs> Briston Maroney, shout out. Um, and my, I, I thought my genres were very funny. Uh, it goes pop rap, indie pop, dance pop, underground hip hop, <laughs> and then sad rap. <laughs> Which is very on brand for me. I shouldn't be surprised, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> It's really funny that there's like a like it's sad rap. Like they had to like <laughs> specify that you were listening to sad music. Um, mine actually had a lot of variety, and my top genre was dance pop. But there was also like indie folk, um, 
emo music <laughs> because I regressed a little and listened to A Day to Remember. I had a really tough July. Um, like I was in the top like listeners of A Day to Remember. But my top artists this year um, were actually all different from my top songs. So like none of the songs that were in my top five were by my top artists. So I think that's pretty interesting. Um, my top five, um, I don't know if anyone will know these people, but like my, my top artist this year was Rainbow Kitten Surprise, which was in my top five last year. I think they were number three. Um, and I remember Annalisa and Kelsey making, like, fun, making fun of me and laughing because they have a really crazy name, which they actually, so <laughs> they actually let a kid who was like um, really sick and like dying of cancer pick out their name. Laughing. Yeah, um, they're a really great band, so you guys should listen to them. And then my my um, other artists were Attaboy, Dr. Dog, Oliver Tree, and Ash Nico. And then my top songs were Warm Animal by Sure Sure, Crush by Tessa Violet, Two Summers, and I don't remember who wrote, who wrote that song, uh, Remedy by Surfaces and Corpus, which is by Attaboy. So I did lie, actually. One song in my top five was by an artist in my top five. Um... My top five artists also pro. Well, I have one mainstream artist on my top five. Um, my number one was Coda the Friend, who I did not know who he was last year, and I'm so glad to have found him. Uh, great rapper. And then Briston Maroney, who wrote most of my top songs. Uh, Kid Quill, Healy, and then Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi came out with an album this year, and it was I listened to it a lot, apparently. <laughs> I love Kid Quill, though. I do, too. He's yeah. so good. And he's from Indiana, right? Yep. Yeah. Um... From Evansville, I'd have to double check. Like I feel like he's from somewhere that I know, because I was like, oh my god, like I know where he's from. I do know he wears the Pacers jersey a lot, so he really reps his uh, home state almost as much as like Jack Harlow reps that gaudy Kentucky chain he wears. Um, okay, I am honestly surprised that Industry Baby was not in, or Montero was not in my top five, <laughs> because the amount of times I listened to both of those songs, like. Mm, love Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow love Jack Harlow in Industry Baby like I could just listen to that song like over and over and over and over again yeah I was also surprised those weren't in my top but that just goes to show you how much I listen to the other ones because I literally listen to Montero and Industry Baby like at least six times a day for like two months Yeah, it was not (laughs) subtle (laughs) Um, I also wanted to mention that Last year when he did the Spotify Wrapped, you sang that Brandy song, and in the last month, I had, first of all, I had no idea what you were talking about when you were singing that song, but in the last month, it started showing up on my Spotify, (laughs) so now I know what it is, and I think Spotify knows me too well. (laughs) That's really funny though, um, because I just love that song, it was, um... It, it's just such a solid song. It reminds me of like a lot of like early 2000s rom-coms because I think it's like in a lot of like early 2000s um, movies, particularly like with the scenes that are overlaying like, you know, like the sea or like somewhere oh, like yeah. to set the scene, yeah. you know, a little bit. Um, it's kind of the same like with Pennies from Heaven is in a lot of like Christmas music or Christmas movies. Um Oh my god, it's a fu- Sorry, I'm gonna mean to cuss. Um, oh my god, it's a classic. <laughs> Pennies from heaven. I'm trying to think of the- I'm trying to think of the lyric. No, you're trying to goat me in. No, I'm really not. You're trying- 
I'm not singing. I'm not singing a third time. I'm just... <laughs> okay. Oh, I also want to say, um, sorry, real quick. Uh, <laughs> Annalisa, who shared with us last year oh that Glee <laughs> was on her top artists, made sure we knew as soon as rap came out that Glee was no longer on her top artist. <laughs> nowhere to be, nowhere to be in sight. Replaced by um, Taylor Swift. An infinity of Taylor. Swift. Like all, all tw- Taylor Swift. I think there was one Olivia Rodrigo song <laughs> in there. So, um, yeah, she would be happy to know that we're mentioning this. Uh, so, so we can set the record straight. Shout out, shout out to her family. Love Annalise. Okay, um, so yeah, if you love Spotify Wrapped as much as we do, um, tweet at us. My Twitter handle is at PG underscore Sierra Henry, and mine is K Wattsnauer. Have fun spelling it. <laughs> W-A-T-Z-N-A-U-E-R. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, and that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.